Hey everybody, welcome back to That Chat. It's Jordan here, and I'm, of course, joined by Jake and Austin as usual. And today we are here to talk to you guys about some good stuff going on with SpaceX and the future of space travel and what's going to be going on with that. So I think to get us kicked off, we'll have Austin go into what exactly just went down. Well, Jordan, to my knowledge, uh, SpaceX actually uh, just launched a giant phallus-shaped object into sky, and you know it—it uh, it carried two uh, individuals to a uh, international space station, and oh, it was all private-based. So you're oh. telling me there's a company that did this, not the government? Exactly, and you too could be a part of this company. So from what I know, and this is on limited knowledge, but I hear there was a space battle between elon musk of spacex jeff bezos of blue origin and some guy over the ocean with virgin galactic richard branson ah yes thank you don't know and as i know spacex is one of the is actually the first one to deliver human cargo to the international space station and i don't know about you guys but when i watched that live at work it was uh it was just breathtaking I honestly like just saw humans being able to just leave this planet finally. Yeah, I think the crazy thing is too is you remember being younger back when we used to still launch space shuttles here in the US and the excitement that went into oh going to space and being an astronaut when we were younger then it all seemed to kind of fade. And I think a lot of it the narrative changed just because we weren't so front facing in the the space exploration side of things that everybody kind of put it in the back of their mind. And then all of a sudden seeing uh, SpaceX has been testing and developing things and trying to build on what NASA was doing previously and make it more economically gainful or viable to be able to do this. And I think Elon's been quoted saying like his whole thing is about trying to make life interplanetary. And this is their way of developing. Like you got to be able to do all these little steps so you can really figure out the tech to do it. But I think what it did was it really excited a lot of people about the possibility of like going to space again. Cause I know just personally, I basically lost all track of it from being a kid. And then in the last three weeks since this whole thing, I've watched numerous documentaries and movies and all sorts of weird things about the cosmos and like the effects of space, just super energized, figure out, will we go to Mars when we're alive? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, this is some cool stuff, guys. We definitely had a, a really interesting move, I think, especially from a PR and marketing perspective to the general public. You've got SpaceX definitely leading the pack. I know that Virgin Galactic had, I think it was in 2018, maybe 2019, they had a, a successful traversal launch. So I believe they actually took people out. Was that the but, one that they launched in the desert and it was like a single manned uh, rocket that actually got to see the curvature? Was it that I, one? I believe so. I'm not 100% on it, but I know that they've, they've actually taken some of the steps. Um, and SpaceX, as we've already seen, has clearly uh, had a great partnership with NASA and with the ISS and really branched out into working with yeah, especially working with the ISS, that's not just our country, right? I mean, we've got Russia, who's been shuttling astronauts up into space for other countries for years, and a lot of other 
uh, different countries that have programs like China that are represented at the ISS and do research there and a lot of participation that happens between countries. So to see SpaceX really get in on that and make that historic launch and really get involved with getting the proper you know, PR on it and the proper marketing on it, I, I think that really sets them ahead in terms of, you know, Jeff Bezos's company, Blue Origin, they won, what was it, the Lunar Lander, I think, design with NASA. Yep. Um, and there were there were a couple other interesting facets that they had with like engine technology I saw them working on as well. But SpaceX has really been, it's just like Tesla. They're not the only ones doing this by any means, but man, they are just killing it in terms of the public opinion. People know SpaceX, just like us when we started at this. We're talking about Virgin Galactic, and everyone's like, oh, God, who was, you know, we know this guy, but we don't know this guy. Like, nobody doesn't know Elon Musk. Don't ask me to pronounce his son's name. I could not, for the life of me, get I that ready. Point, but, but did I, you really? I, did you actually yeah, figure I, out I, what his name was? I, yeah, I actually did, but then I, I just forgot. I just took one look <laughs> at that, and I was like, I don't, I don't want to go back to algebra class. I'm good. I'm so good on this. Yeah, no, um, I actually... What interested me about this also is the uh, the different philosophies that each company has focused on in order to bring themselves into the space game. Initially, I liked SpaceX's approach is what they took an existing rocket already and just kept pushing it and pushing it until something broke. Then they would fix it. We keep doing that over and over and over again until finally they found something that was efficient enough with, what, with um, the fuel types that we have in order to actually send people up efficiently and bring them back efficiently with minimal damage or minimal um debris yeah i think the biggest yeah. thing is being able to get the rocket back like they they have reverse thrusters and everything and they can digitally land these things so they can reuse that same rocket and that's something in the past i mean it took them several tries to figure out like you can google the videos of these things hitting the landing docks and blowing up but once they figured it out like the the system itself is so intricate and the, the ability to recover that is what's saving them so much just in the construction part of the finances. Well, and it's also, it's doing a lot for NASA too. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where people are really galvanized by companies like Tesla, SpaceX. They're, they're really into what people like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos are doing with these things. And then they see it being partnered with uh, NASA looks at this and they're just like, it's a great way for us to offset some of these additional expenses to get some additional company resources in here. But also I think their budget's like 17, 18 billion last year, this year, I'm not sure, but they're, they're spending a fraction of what's already a limited budget in comparison to some other areas of what our government spends money on, on these launches and on, I mean, this this was an incredibly successful launch. I mean, anybody that's old enough would remember things like the Challenger and other highly disastrous launches that went down. And I think a lot of people were holding their breath on this because it's been a while since we've had a a real, you know, just like we were talking about earlier, a real launch that made people think, hey, this is something that's worth me stopping what I'm doing, flipping the channel to and taking a look at what's going on. So I'm just glad that it all worked out, that everything was good. And I, I think that this is going to work out really well, not only for, for SpaceX and for uh, the other competitors, but 
also for NASA too. I think it's going to generate a lot of new interest among kids getting involved in this. Oh yeah, no, those kids are lucky. I I wish we what's we were born way too early about almost everything. We missed on so much stuff. We're still missing on stuff. I mean, that's the part of it. Too early and too late, right? Yeah, for yeah, too early. What's the one saying? Too early to discover the West, and then too. Or no, sorry, too late to discover the West and too early to discover the stars. That's our yep. generation. So that just hit me real deep. <laughs> That's the first time I heard that. Really? Yeah. So true, though. So true. No. I'm sorry, man. I guess we can bring up the part that uh, how Bezos is uh, possibly going to deal with this. I don't know his strategy for it. I do know his strategy up until this point was to develop a, what was it, a rocket based off of helium-3? Um, yep, it was uh, um, off of helium-3. And, well, unfortunately, there's not a lot here. So his whole spiel, I believe, was, or his whole strategy was to go to the moon where I believe there's abundance of it there and then use that as a staging point to further expand it to the galaxy. Or, no, sorry, solar system, but galaxy eventually. How do you guys feel about that strategy in comparison with Elon, Elon's strategy, which he ha- definitely has the momentum right now, and it's clearly, clearly obvious. On my end, I think it's I think it's good that each company isn't necessarily trying to just copy each other, and that they're all trying to take a different approach. Because I don't think this is necessarily a one size fits all kind of thing. I mean, space travel's never really been that way. But what, once you get the basics down of you know. What kind of force do we need to get away from Earth's gravity? What kind of fuels are most efficient? Um, Then we can start innovating. We can start looking at what does this planet have that ours doesn't? What does a satellite that's, you know, the moon have that we don't? What does Mars have in terms of its size or its gravity that'll make landing on it easier? I mean, there's so many different scenarios and the physics of it change so much planet to planet that it's not... It's you're just talking about measurements and ways of thinking that people don't consider living on Earth all the time exclusively. You know, like the conditions for life are pretty much universal here on this planet. The physics are universal on this planet. They just work the way that they do, and they always will because of certain constraints, right? But it's not necessarily the case on the moon where you go there and the gravity is reduced. Gravity. You know, it's just, yeah, I mean, the, the, the gravity is... There's, there's a lot less of it on the moon because it's just so much smaller. So it's like you can weigh the same that you do on Earth that you do on the moon, but, you know, jump like you're in the NBA or something crazy like that. So it's just one of those things where there's so much different potential based on the different resources that are out there and the different types of these, you know, sized objects and, and what they're made of and everything else that I think it's really cool that Bezos's organization is considering hey the moon's not that far right we have the ability to get there we've got planets uh that are much farther away but we know how to get here we've gotten people here to the moon what can we use on the moon what can we do to make the moon more of a a easier place for us to do launches and things like that and worry about the heavy lifting being done on a smaller scale between us and that satellite blackjack you bring blackjack to the moon i guarantee you people will go I, you know, I, I'd be fine just to watch somebody on the moon who was in like one of them habitats do a broadcast session of blackjack 
and I can make bets on it while being here. That would just be so cool. Be like, oh, where are you at? Shanghai, Texas, you know? No, I'm actually on the Crater 041 uh, on the backside of the moon. And, uh, you know, we're just broadcasting live from up here. That that would be so sick. I would be all over that. But would, would you bet moon dollars or would you bet real dollars? Oh, U.S. dollars, of course, baby. Come on. Uh, Whose right. flag you think is flying up there? China right now? Do they have a flag on the moon? I'd have to no check this. <laughs> I have zero idea. I know that we put one up there in the 60s. So. We left a body well, up did, there, too, did, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't prove any of that. Thank you. Um, I think China. No, they have a rover up there, though. That was recently within the last. I mean, those years. things, those things disappear all the time. See, and this space, is what man. I'm saying, man. Like, yeah, I, but so do people. I'm clueless to what has gone on outside of Earth for the last 15 years. Oh, I think everybody is, dude. Yeah, no I was gonna say, no one, like, no <laughs> you and everyone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that launch changed like momentum and how people view everything. Right now, now I need it. Like, I'm actively like seeking it out. Like, okay, when's the next thing? Like, so you're yeah. craving a giant phallus-shaped rocket? Yes. Okay. I need it in the atmosphere around me now. (laughs) I need it by me, but you know, preferably (laughs) that's about as close as I want. (laughs) Um, No, but no, I I think what you're saying is absolutely right, though, because it's real now, right? Like we've seen this succeed, and it's just one of those things where it's like they can talk and they can test and they can do this, that, and the other, and until we see. We've successfully, you know, dropped settlement A on wherever. It just doesn't have that tangibility to it. And we've seen this trip to the ISS go just so unbelievably smoothly from a non from a company that doesn't have NASA printed on the side of their stuff, right? So it's it's wild. It's I mean, this is like social media, right? This just changed the game in communication and travel. You know, it's like we're we're looking at the private sector seriously taking the task up and making some serious progress in really short amounts of time. So, I mean, SpaceX didn't exist 20 years ago, and we've had space travel since my parents were young, younger than I am now. So, you know, it, it's been... It's been amazing how much we've advanced so quickly with the advance of technology and with understanding and, you know, we'll go go back to communications and all that too. Just how much that all has developed and allowed this to now just springboard into a whole new arena of business that we never considered 20 years ago. Right. I think that's just the first step too, because that's what Elon keeps talking about. If you listen to any one of his interviews around the whole thing, he's talking about- Make it through it. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. If you can if make, you can it, make through it through it, he yeah, the social skills there, but the man's a genius. But like <laughs> everything he touches on is the the intrinsic need to make humans interplanetary and be able to do that. We have to rapidly advance our technology in a way we haven't done that before. And by doing these smaller missions and being able to do the research and have the capabilities, this is what's going to push. And I think you're going to see tech once if we seriously invest and start trying to do this stuff off outside of our orbit um our technology across the entire landscape in general is just going to skyrocket i agree with you on that but i think if you really wanted to push the envelope and the boundaries is you have to 
convince people that there's and this sucks but you have to convince them that there's a profit up there right and so, that's that's something I, I saw it was neil degrasse tyson was talking about like every major funding undergoing that human race has got had to go through it comes down like you can go back over the timeline and it comes down to three things it's either fear of death so survival back in the times when we believed in deities and everything else active so before the before the virus active religion yes active religion ah. or economics so you have to hit on one three of those one of those three things to be able to move the gdp to invest and do whatever so it either basically the royalty now is not a moving factor so it either has to be for the conversation of getting rid of extinction by making us multiplanetary or that there's an economic gain by putting disney world on the moon because that's that's the other conversation too is people talk about oh yeah that's great like you can go throw up a biosphere but like do you really want to do that or is it more gainful to be able to take a week vacation on the moon and stuff like that rather than building an entire new civilization so there's a whole conversation of the kind of the structure of what it looks like if it's truly for recolonization if i can't say that word right or if it's for vacation because, I mean, if you get in the vacation business, you can profit the hell out of it. But there's so many other challenges that come down if we were to recolonize that you have to look at, like the effects of reduced gravity on the human body. Like all of our systems as a human rely on the way things are on our planet, like the gravitational forces that are on our body. Like that's the reason our central nervous system works the way it does. That's the reason we have the muscles that we do so we can stand upright. When you go take nine months to get to Mars, you're not using any of those structures because you're in free-floating orbit the whole time. Like, you have no gravity acting on your body. You atrophy. Like, you start losing bone density. You start losing muscle mass. So it's like there's a whole... Like, it's exciting, but there's so many things we need to figure the fuck out before we can really do the next thing. Like, it's great that we can launch and get them back and maybe orbit the moon or whatever, but, like, be able to sustain anything, there's so many problems we got to figure out. So you're saying we should start, uh, what, developing a genetic engineering then? That's part of it. Like, either you're going to have to find a way to artificially create gravity. So, like, that goes back to comic books in the 50s of rotation or acceleration causing the same forces as gravity. But to do that, you need fuel, propulsion, everything else. Or you have to biochemically adapt the human body to be able to go under those stresses and that's the other thing too is just the thing i'd be interested to see the thing i want to experience if i was able to do it is the g-force so i mean there's one thing to go out in a sports car and whip it around a left-hand turn and get thrown against the side of the car in the opposite direction and half a g or something but to feel six seven g going in and out of orbit Ooh. you can look that yeah, up I know. like air force pilot it <laughs> when they go upside down at mock speed just passing out like completely losing consciousness that's got to be a rush right i mean I, i'd assume so that's gonna <laughs> be the new high space travel why right? they do it not <laughs> even just just take a rocket up for like an hour <laughs> and then free fall back down in a parachute um yeah that's but basically I mean, what go... virgin airlines is right now or virgin or virgin galactic like their whole thing yeah. is like it launches and it's like a six minute flight at whatever orbit it is but like they i don't know what they're their long-term plan is the one I don't understand the most because it's literally about, like, we drop this thing off this little ship and boost it 
so you feel weightlessness for 30 seconds and you pay us six thousand dollars to do it cool yeah i I mean, you know, I don't know what their long-term plans are, but I kind of look at Ed Virgin as like the same way I've looked at them in other areas where they've uh, participated in the uh, economic sphere, I guess you could say, trains, airplanes, things like that. I think they're kind of, they're a company that dips their toes into stuff more because Branson sees it as fun or interesting. Whereas I feel like, I feel like um, Elon has a true vision for something he wants to accomplish in a way that Richard Branson just does not. I don't I don't even know that Bezos necessarily has the same kind of vision in it that uh, that Elon Musk does either. Um cuz the two the two of them jumped into this at a at a later stage than Elon did, not much later, but both of them both of them have money. They have things that they want to invest in. They have things that they want to put that money towards. And they're both driven to do things for sure. I mean, Bezos has built a massive distribution empire, and Branson's been well known for being an eccentric who gets into a lot of different uh, areas of business. So it's not surprising to see them hop in. But I feel like the two of them are looking to capitalize on getting into the market, getting a brand name built, and looking at what they can do for like we talked about, you know, travel, maybe looking at the moon, stuff like that. I feel like Elon Musk, his motivation is to redefine the way in which society operates, in which we either look at space travel or how we live or where we can live. I mean, if you guys look, I don't know how much you guys may have followed up on what he was looking to do for like alternatives to traffic on the West Coast by building these large, massive underground transportation systems. I mean, that's that's not something I've heard Bezos or Branson talk about at all, or even hint don't... at improving like the, the, the lives of people through the technology they're making, right? Beyond the scope of the main businesses that they operate. Whereas I feel like Elon has all these ideas and he, he has all these drives, but they all stem out of what can I do to make life better for people or to make civilization move forward to that next step? Where can I get people to kind of meet me here? And I feel like it's part of the reason why he comes across is he's always thinking about this stuff and it's his central reason for getting up in the morning. And that's why you see him on podcasts like Rogan's and you're like, this guy's coming across, across is kind of awkward, right? Like what, like what's going on? He doesn't seem like, Socially, he's he's distracted, or there's something else going on while he's talking to you. I feel like he's spending two percent of his mental energy on the discussion at hand with whoever he's talking to, and ninety-eight percent of his mental energy is on. All right, what are we going to do with this rocket? What are we going to do with this cyber truck? What are we going to do with you know all of these different things he's thinking about? I feel like that's where he is most of the time, and. I just don't get that same vibe from the leadership with Virgin Galactic and with Blue Origin. And I, I think that intelligence that Elon has put towards it is is different. And I think the driver is different. And I think that's where the major difference comes from, is I think he has the ability to convince the other side to look at it from his perspective and to get that deal with NASA to start building his company up as the front runner for this all stems from that. Let's not forget the Falcon nine was a bankrupt or make it moment too. Like if that last rocket that worked and came back and landed on their test flights, that was the last dollar that Elon had 
Like if that thing crashed, it was over. His whole Tesla like, too. Yeah. Like yeah. all of his companies were just done. So that's like hmm. that's the so amount was, of risk luck. he put onto it. <laughs> so it was luck, a lot luck of and luck faith. Too. Yeah, luck yeah. and a lot of faith. And just that des- I mean, just that driving desire, right? I mean, you gotta it's one of those things where it's like if we don't do it, it's not gonna get done. And if we gotta spend every dollar we have here on this and it tanks, then I will scratch and claw my way back up to do it again with another company, with another brand, whatever I have to. I feel like that was more important to him. I mean, everyone's heard this guy talk about shareholders and stuff like that. He thinks these people are not worth his time. (laughs) And I got to be honest, as somebody who's a shareholder myself too, and an investor, I agree. Most of us are, are not, we're not making investments because we love the company, right? We're making investments because oh, wow, this is a great stock to hold right now. And it, it's not necessarily, a, it's just one of those things where if you have an actual vision and an actual motivation behind the company that you're doing and you get people invested in it at an emotional level, at a societal level, not just a financial level, you really have a strong amount of staying power. There's, uh, there's a lot of companies that have lasted a long time because they have something tangible that they give or some type of strong societal connection that they create, but it's not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily something that they're, that they're increasing their, their, uh, you know, year over year returns by six or 7%. And I think, uh, well, you know, I'm just saying, numbers, numbers, business stonks, you get it. I feel like, you know, Tesla and SpaceX are that it's one of those things where they, they meet that requirement for the financiers, but at the same time, they also really hit people. I mean, you should see the viewing numbers on the people that watch this launch. It was incredible. Oh, yeah, no, I was one of them. I made history. I, all three of us watched that, did we not? Yeah. No. I almost missed it. I was at work and I still made that. <laughs> no, because I remember I was sitting there ready to watch the original one and then they scrubbed the launch on Wednesday and like rescheduled for Saturday. And I'd almost forgot about it. And then I, <laughs> on Wednesday when they scrubbed the launch, I put it in my phone as an alarm like 15 minutes before launch or whatever. So I literally like my alarm started going off, jumped out of bed, came in here, turned on this screen and started watching with like 10 minutes left in the countdown. All right. So. I'm wondering, uh, hypothetical here, say the, um, say the launch, uh, did not go as planned, uh, something catastrophic failed, uh, the two, the the crew survived, but the rocket or something along those lines, just it's gone. So how do you think it would have went from there? Would have really hurt this entire drive. It would have really put... I think a lot of people would have changed. So I don't know. Do you how think much it would have set have... us back at least like five years? Oh, more than that. Uh, more than that. I honestly, yeah. I believe that that could have been yeah another another ten. Mm-hmm. Um, at least at least in the way that people viewed it, right? I mean, right now the majority of people that get pulled on it actually, for the most part, believe that private companies have the profit motive as well as the ability to get this job done. And I think that that common ground that a lot of people share in the way they view companies like SpaceX or Blue Origin would have definitely been shattered if this had failed in any way, where there was either a technology issue 
or a resultant problem from uh, the launch itself or conditions, if they hadn't prepared for that, I think they would have looked at this and said, yeah, we need to leave this to NASA. Yeah, I think it would have been the 180 flip. Like we talked about how exciting it was and how it like rejuvenated the whole interest in the space race and everything like that. Like if it would have went wrong, uh, I think a lot of screens would have turned off that day and we wouldn't have talked about any of the stuff that we're talking about now. Like obviously they're still at the space station. They got to make it home. Like, so you, you pray that everything goes good in the landing and that the mission's a complete success. But I think if the launch would have faltered in any way, it would have been a wrap. It would have, the whole private entity, the commercialization of it would have gone away. It would have been, okay, we need to get back to government programs or like a UN type space program rather than private companies. It could have, yeah, and it could have even been worse. I mean, we've seen, you know, I mean, like if you ask, if, if we were to ask our parents about like, you know, the Challenger explosion, I mean, that was, I was, taught about that in every science class I ever took. If we ever had a unit that came up on space, they would talk about things like the Challenger explosion and what exactly it was that created that problem and caused that issue. And then Columbia. I mean, I was pretty young when Columbia occurred in 2003, I think it was. And that was a shuttle issue on re-entry. And that one got talked about all the time too. And, you know, I mean, we, we remember things like, you know, uh, Neil Armstrong walking on the moon or, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for uh, mankind. But we don't talk about those near as much or remember them as starkly as we do the catastrophic accidents that happen in these situations. So, you know, it's one of those hold your breath kind of moments because you just watch these, these rockets launch and you think, if this doesn't go well, uh, this could set them back. This could set all of us back in making this kind of outreach into space a long a long time a really long time regardless of austin's uh opposition to this i will uh i just wanted to see what you guys thought on where exactly you think nasa's role in the future of this is gonna is gonna fit and obviously right now they're still looking to handle any major space operations that we're going to be doing or anything that's going to be essentially beyond the scope and expertise of what uh SpaceX or, or any of these other companies would be doing. But where do you see 30, 40, 50 years NASA falling in line with this? For me, uh, I see NASA possibly merging with our um, beloved Space Force. I use that term lightly. But I, I, I see them as a more of a, as a policing body than an actual pushing the boundaries kind of thing. Because for me, as you said before, the was it the companies themselves are going to start pushing the envelope. They're going to start innovating. They're going to start doing these things that are uh, beyond the scope of what we even have laws and rules for. So there's going to be, there's going to be a need for somebody to quote unquote police them. And it's just going to happen. Otherwise there's just so many things people could do up in space that we'll never know of, or they could get away with. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I I actually agree with the um the evolution of NASA from the organization that it is right now. I don't necessarily think it's going to join the Space Force. I don't think it, it's going to become non-civilian in focus, but I do think it's going to become like a new oversight agency into what private companies are going to be doing in space and going into 
a lot of like the way the EPA manages the environment and how companies interact with that today. I see NASA turning into that exact uh, that exact kind of agency and having that kind of input with companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin being like, hey, guys, look, you can't dump your space trash here. It has to go over here. And this is, you know, what has to be done. And I, I think NASA is going to become that kind of entity. No, that's exactly where I was going to go with it, too, is I think they're going to fall back and be kind of the regulatory committee or commission that kind of oversights it. And you, to be honest, you took my example right out of my mouth. Um, but I think because the whole thing, too, is like Elon even said, his whole reason of starting SpaceX and doing this was to increase NASA's budget. Like, I don't think it a lot of it isn't to take away the operational standpoint of NASA. Like he's just facilitating the means to get the job done. So I think in a way, while they'll have more of the administrative oversight protecting kind of the evolution of it, um, they'll still be very involved in the operational, but they just won't be the ones producing the means to accomplish the task, but they'll still be the ones kind of at the head of mission control and deciding when things go certain ways with the operation. But kind of as you both said, they'll be the ones that come up with the regulations and rules is when we have 60,000 satellites in space and they get decommissioned and what happens to them then. Like, obviously, one of the big problems is if we start launching stuff all the time, is there a conversation about pollution of space? I, I don't know how that works. Never lived in a vacuum. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I just pictured a regular vacuum right. being a <laughs> <laughs> just in a junkyard. Yeah, like I don't uh, know no. what that looks like. Is there reasonable concern for that, or does the stuff eventually deteriorate? Like, no, that's that's actually a really good point because that's the biggest. So, you know, earlier I mentioned that most people actually support the idea of private companies getting involved in space travel and that they think they have the means and the capability. But the lowest metric where people scored private companies is on space debris. And we have a huge amount of it. So, I mean, in comparison to like the amount of garbage that we throw out every single day here on the planet itself, it's nothing. But garbage like screws and things like that becomes a lot more dangerous when it's zipping around the planet 10 times faster than the speed of a bullet, right? So, you know, the kinetic energy of even small objects that are flying around the planet in space gets massively amplified and things like the ISS or the rockets that we launch, uh, you can have, you know, pieces of an engine fuselage that previously was carrying a rocket into space that are still floating up there and they explode or deteriorate over time and they cause tons of additional debris to then be floating up in space at these incredible speeds. And with that force and, the, and that uh, acceleration, it just leads to this it's like a giant minefield up there, you know, as more debris breaks up and as more things, you know, cloud the space, it really leans into a, um, a problem of what do we do to get rid of it? What do we do to mitigate it? And how do we protect, you know, if we do get to the point where we're transporting people, how do we make sure that, you know, they're looking through a porthole and then some little bit of metal doesn't fly through there and they all get decompressed. So, you know, it's, uh, it's something we got to watch. Imagine little Timmy just looking through a window. Hey, mommy, what's that? Poof, and now Timmy's gone. I literally imagined the same thing. 
I'm literally sitting there imagining some like little girl sitting on the seat like, Daddy, that one's the moon. And then just this like pencil tip flies through the fucking window. And I saw you laughing and I'm like, this motherfucker is thinking the same shit as me right now. I'm about to lose it. So I had to end it. Uh, no, I actually, um, in your uh, rambling, I definitely thought of a good way to combat that is um during world war ii they used squirrels to hunt for landmines and you said it's a minefield up there right so all we had to do is employ hundreds of thousands of squirrels <laughs> to go catch the debris <laughs> give them little spacesuits and little jetpacks that'll be great oh my god man and then we profit yeah and then profit the gnomes the space gnomes come out profit oh shoot no, they can't be. It's my squirrel idea. They, you know, a little aside to this, I really hope that there's a South Park episode around space travel and what what SpaceX just did. I hope they like send Cartman in space or something. I just, I gotta see it. Yeah, I mean, all all jokes aside, though, yeah, it's it's something that that's a, a real problem, and the public is aware of it. So uh, I was very interested to see that statistic because they just they score companies like SpaceX so high in every other trust metric around space travel, except for space debris. And they think that it's related once again to that profit motive where it's like, what, what's the profit motive for these companies to, you know, they get up into space and they have uh, pieces of the ship that they can eject or that they don't need. And they think, ah, you know, what do I care if it crashes back down to the planet and, you know, rips through somebody's house or what do I care if it ends up floating up here for the rest of eternity? It, you know, it doesn't matter to me. You know, I'm more concerned about shuttling this to the ISS or, you know, making this really good photo op on the moon or whatever else. It becomes more about um, the profit than actually making sure we're trying to mitigate, you know, the, the negative consequences on the atmosphere. Well, I feel like then at that point, Musk could just uh, employ the cleanup crew, like as an actual part of SpaceX, because I know they had they, this is. This uh, discussion has been going on for a while, but I believe there's like three major ways they could clean it up. One was a giant electromagnet. Another one was like a giant net that um, and once they would catch this stuff, like the electromagnet would just like either just fly off into space. We would never see it again or it would um, I don't think it was sent to the sun or just crash back down into the earth or something like that. And then same thing with the net. I think there was one point it was um, just fire space lasers. Like there's just like these giant like just lasers firing in into space like vaporizing all the debris. I think that was one way of doing it. So they're they're basically they're like yeah our professional solutions are to throw out theor <laughs> theoretical things that don't exist. Yes. and might uh, well, might potentially cause damage like this giant <laughs> electromagnet. What? Yeah, that is the most amazing idea to me in how simplistic and yet stupid it sounds to me because. But it would work. Right. I, I don't know the science behind it, so I'm going to come across well, as an idiot, but I just imagine this giant, like this giant electromagnet, right? Because it's got to pull in a lot of stuff that's like people think of, I, mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to create an idea where it's like people don't realize the scope of just how large space is because, you know, they think of the ISS as being like, okay, like this line is the sky and this line is space. And there's like this clear barrier it's like we're talking about tens of thousands of miles of space between a lot of these different objects and things like that. So it's like, how many of these magnets do you have to throw up there? How large does the magnet have to be? 
you know, like so many questions that I would have. And then it's, it, it, the question is, does this magnet just fly off into space on its own and become someone else's problem? Or <laughs> does this thing have like a, a detonator in it that, you know, like there's jets or something in it that force it into the planet or away from the planet? I, that's, I don't know. It just sounds like such a crazy solution to me, yeah. but I'm, I'm all for the crazy ideas. And it sure. obviously can't be something that's like hauled up there. Because whatever is hauling it up there would then, by effect, get sucked into the electromagnet. So it's not like you can be attached to it and come back unless you, like, demagnetize whatever's bolstering it up in the sky. But, like, well, the amount of thrust and everything else would be required to do that in itself is a problem. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, the weight of it would be an issue. But, it's, it's like, the magnet itself, because it would be electromag uh, electromagnetic, it wouldn't be magnetic until it was powered with electricity. So they would be able to get it into space without a, you know, like ripping the ship apart. But how much power does it need then once it's up there? How long does it have to be powered for to get all this debris? I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like this is this is a question for the ocean cleanup guy. You know, we uh we gotta <laughs> get Boyan Slot on guy. it, right? We gotta we gotta talk to him. I mean, he he reminds me a bit of like what I imagine a young Elon Musk was like. You know, I hear I hear him talk about some of these solutions and stuff with the ocean cleanup. I wonder if if he might have some some theories on space debris as well. We might see some of those. Uh, what is it? was he having the the garbage patch? He's got the um, it's like a big U shape thing, right? I'm not entirely yeah. sure on the so, details, but I, th I think it's like a giant self propelled um raft of sorts and it right. just goes around like a Roomba and just like Roomba's <laughs> he's got like a space Roomba like we just see this thing in space <laughs> it looks giant, exactly like, like a normal Roomba yeah a giant like C-shaped thing that's just up there it's like what is that oh that's that's the orbital cleanup project <laughs> it's run by Boyan Slot man you know uh if you listen to this ever uh Boyan you know go ahead and uh go ahead and take notes on what I'm throwing down and uh you know, just just write me just a little check, just a little check to that chat for uh for the idea there. But we just we just need to have a retrospective episode once like it's just some time has passed, and just be like, what solutions did we first talk about for the garbage debris in space, and what actually worked? Because I know this is gonna become this is gonna become a thing for sure, especially when they're they're talking about doing like satellite blankets and stuff to get uh like more efficient data transfer to people and there's there's so many crazy projects that they want to do in space there's no way they can't tackle this without uh without getting this uh debris done first i'm all in on the roomba like i'm sold <laughs> yeah i i would i would love to see some giant space like net monsters flying around just, just you know, freedom? slowly passing. Like when you see like the little dot, that's a satellite, right? Just something that's much closer, but <laughs> much more gargantuan. Right yeah, just <laughs> something huge, right? Like I make it look like Pac-Man. Why not? That would be the coolest thing to have this giant Pac-Man space garbage collector chasing a white dot through. around, just like the video game. It's like, oh, he's gonna eat the satellite. Oh, yeah, no, that's cool. Oh no! no Pac-Man um, turns on us. Yeah, I think it would be it would be it would be really cool, but even after that's done, um I don't know if you guys looked into 
the responses of citizens who were asked, hey, so if space travel becomes a thing, would you do it? And the vast majority of people had um, interesting responses based on, you know, their gender, their age, or whatever else, but less than half of people that were asked said that they would do commercial like space vacations or tourism or any of that stuff. So if we know that most, and of course, most people who were older cited reasons like their age and stuff like that, it was actually, it was less than 30% actually said it was because they were afraid of going into space. So but they're already old. I, well, yeah, they might as well just die in the ride up if they can, or if, and if they make it, then congrats. See a this lot of something them. you never thought. A lot of them actually responded based on the fact that they said, no, I'm already too old. I'm going to die if I go up there. So they they want the opposite. They want the opposite. Well, Contrary to your beliefs, Austin, people don't like the idea of dying. They like to preserve their lives and live as long as they can. Yeah, but then they're not going to they're just going to live in their house and not do anything. I kind of get that, though. Like if I if I was so old that I knew I didn't have much time left, I would probably be like, you know what? strap me in i've always wanted to see space let let's do it let's do it and you know if i get sucked out the front then hey you know i mean i I lived a good life i lived a long good life i mean i i get it if they um if they don't want to but after a certain point i know that i'm on the i'm on the like the other side of life and i might as well just go do some more stuff that i never thought i could do possibly in my lifetime, so I might as well try it. My only bummer, this I know where this is going to land, is like my insulin. No pun intended. No, no pun intended on the landing, yeah, but like my (laughs) insulin and stuff. Don't know how that works in space. Like True. And even just Mm -hmm. like my blood glucose, like like my sensor and stuff like that, that's got to be all screwed up. So there would definitely have to be a lot of advances, I think, before I even had the opportunity, regardless if it goes full commercial just to be safe and have what I need on a day-to-day basis, which I mean, that's obviously stuff that they're looking at because that's part of their research is ways to treat different conditions and stuff. And if it's more, if you can produce things in space to do it and like trying to make pharmaceuticals be able to exist in those environments. So, I mean, it's something that's probably get developed, but that'd be the reason that would hold me back um, initially. But I mean, if they had that sorted out, man, if I could, Get my insulin, eat my snacks, be good to go. That's the I'll way to go. I'll be on the first flight out, man. <laughs> That's what his point. Got a because of insulin in a cookie. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta he's do. He's right? got this. He's got a grin that's like going from cheek to or from ear to ear. Got he's my like, I'm ready. My insulin. <laughs> but no, that's that's actually a really good point you bring up though too, Jake, because like there's a lot of ex- uh, restrictions that exist right now just on people who can even like become astronauts. If you're too tall, if you have you know other existing conditions, if you have, um, there's like all kinds of weird like like right now like if you want to fly a plane but you're colorblind you can't. So, you know it's um as far as I know you can't. I don't know if there's any licensed class where you could, but to my knowledge there isn't. Um. But yeah, there, there's restrictions on people who can even go into space as of right now, uh, just from like NASA standards. So what? that that becomes a really interesting question uh, going into the rest of the 
you know, colonization conversations and things like that. It's like, you know, can we only take our best up there? Can we only take our, our genetically fit up there? Can we only take, you know, our, 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 uh, people who are like under six, five up there? Like, you know, there's like all these questions where it's like, what, what areas can we, uh, can we focus on for getting it so that the majority of people who are people, you know, we're all born with mutations or we develop diseases or whatever else over time. What if we have totally different results in space than we would here and we could get treatment here and we can't get in space, things like that. I mean, that that's, that's something we definitely need to consider for sure. Too, I think that was, that was a big point mutations. of the whole Scott Kelly, a year in space thing that made on the space station. A lot of that was to, kind of see just overall like radiation to the body and everything else. Cause that's obviously different because the way What's our the story behind this, the Steve Kelly, he was the guy that went up and did like the first year long stay in space in orbit. Um, it was in like 2000. Really cool. Or really like cool that, experience. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he went up there for a year, um, basically just so they could see the long-term effects of being in orbit. And those things we were talking about earlier, like the lack of gravity and the atrophy and other like radiation and stuff like increases, obviously your risk for cancer later in life. So you don't know what's going to happen with him down the road. Also like, um, your bones deteriorate. So you get calcium in your streams and all your cells that cause a bunch of other diseases and issues as well. So, I mean, the, the medical side of things, just cause the human body is not designed to be in that environment. It is designed to be here on Earth, so I guess the conversation really comes down to how bad we want to do this. Are we, are we trying to experience space, or are we just trying to recreate Earth at different places? Yeah, and that's that's another question I have too. Going into you know like colonizing Mars, like what is not only space. But like when we actually get to these final destinations um, that we're talking about getting to, and making you know colonies and settlements, what impact and what effect does that have on our biology and our development? I mean, do people who you know live on Mars and start having children there for a few generations, do they start growing differently than we do? Do they start having different like do they breathe in a weird way? Like they're more efficient or less efficient using oxygen? Or I mean, it's just. I don't know. There's so many weird variables that um, it's just really impossible to take into account. We can, you know, there's like, there's a lot of stuff we can theorize or we can talk about practical solutions on debris and stuff, but there's a lot of stuff too that, like I said earlier, we, we have earth-based conditions for most of our science and what that stuff is based around. And, you know, we can experiment and alter stuff for these different environments, but, we can't really know any of this stuff until we go out and start doing it. And we don't know what the consequences of that could be. So it's, it's definitely stuff we have to consider for sure. And it goes back to, I think Mars one is the plan in like 2030. Um, don't know who's behind that, but it's to actually like send a four person mission to Mars. And that the joke is it's called Mars one. Cause it's a one way trip. Like, they don't plan on being able to come back. Yeah. Yeah, that that was something when I when I looked at that, too. I was just like, man, you got to, I don't know. You either got to bring everyone and everything you care about with you, or you got to have nothing that you care about to be 
to be willing or you you know or you just care about that mission above and beyond everything and anything else in your life because there's no way that i could do something like that right now unless i had a guarantee where it was like yeah you know you can bring anyone and everyone that you know you care about or want to spend your time with or anything like that with you and they'll be able to come back like it's not it's not this permanent sentence and i don't uh i don't know how, how you could do it because i know that there's people who are interested um but for people who are qualified too who are interested so it's yeah, that's 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 a whole other thing for me too. It's just the psychology of that. That's crazy. That's just the, I think the sign, the dotted line. Here's your life. Thank you. I think it's a conspiracy. What better way to get rid of four people we don't want on the earth anymore? Ooh, I, I got a short list. I got a short As list. A, <laughs> quote unquote humanitarian effort. Austin's out here thinking about people <laughs> he wants to jettison off the planet. Uh, yeah, right. I haven't already done that. He's like, look, it's the Mars One mission. They'll be like, huh? This rocket's hollow. There's nothing in it but a couple <laughs> seats. They'll be like, yeah, we're uh, we're ramming you, ramming you over at Mars. And they'll be like, man, the sun is just getting bigger. What's going on? <laughs> Weird. We didn't hear from him again. <laughs> oh well, time for Mars One Two. But yeah, you know that's that's um. Ah, there's just so I many. I see the mafia taking advantage of that. <laughs> Instead of giving you Quote concrete shoes, they give you space spacesuits. <laughs> yep, space coffin. Uh, sleeping with the stars. Oh <laughs> my much god! Much better than the fish. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to. I feel like with this topic, there's just so much to consider, and there's so many different possibilities that. Because you 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 can automatically default to thinking about just the most grandiose, amazing things that we could be capable of, right? And all the the good things that can come out of this, and reusable rockets, and all all the stuff that we have that is developing and advancing, and it's it's great to see. But then we think about you know what are the, like the long term consequences of this? Like, do we just you know? What what happens if we get to Mars and we turn we have a colony there and we find efficient ways to start traveling back and forth? We start dumping all of our garbage there, or sucking one planet up all of its resources, or you know, even beyond the space travel stuff, what becomes like the political and social fallouts of that? Is it you know Earth versus Mars, right? Is it an us versus them thing? And I think of um, I don't know if you guys ever played Red Faction back in the day, but yeah, that's that's a whole game series that's based on people, you know, living on Mars who are essentially like enslaved to the Earth, and they're just there to mine and get resources and wealth for you know the Earth government. And it's like you know it's a game, it's whatever, but at the same time, like that's kind of how people operate in terms of you know how states deal with each other and countries deal with each other, and you know when it's on a planet-wide scale and you don't have to worry about pushing the red button and it necessarily having a problem with you know your territory then it becomes a whole different conversation and um i don't know it can be it can be some scary stuff you know i think uh actually it could go into more of mars gaining independence because they also are closer to the asteroid belt which has more resources than we could actually think of so they could become the new dominant power in our solar system anything's possible man yeah anything's possible you got like you know like 
do do old school pirates come back, but like in space? You know, like do we wooden ships? Are you just like yeah, like you're out you're out on your space yacht just enjoying yourself, and then you get raided by some space pirate? You know, at like you know hundreds of uh, thousands of miles an hour, but it seems like they're really slowly gaining on you or something because you're in space. You know, just crazy weird scenarios like that that we just joke about now and it god damn it <laughs> that was gonna be really good this wrap this thing up thing <laughs> oh, oh i still want to oh you're kind of coming back you there <clears throat> damn oh, now he's back yeah i just stopped talking Oh, oh no! You just like straight up cut. Yeah, it cut. It sounded really weird. Oh, where did I cut? Uh, uh, things that we joke about now, I think. Oh yeah, I was just saying it's it's things we joke about now, but you know, five thousand years in the future, they could be the reality. And you know, the um, who was it? Leonardo da Vinci that had uh, notes for like helicopters and other crazy stuff that exists today. And, you know, hundreds of years ago, this guy was putting just these weird designs and other things. And on some of the stuff, he actually wasn't far off from the realities of, of what the technologies are like today. So it's, I don't know. It's just crazy to think about the stuff that could be real that may not be, uh, you know, may not be feasible or just funny today. But tomorrow could be something that they look back and they go, "Ha, huh, jokes on you." I think it's gonna happen like aliens. Oh, <laughs> you know what? Jettison me into space now. <laughs> <laughs> or Blade Runner, the first one, not the other one. It could happen. That was. I'll see why these got to be bad things, guys. We're not going to be alive for it. It's not our problem, quote unquote. <laughs> well, the way I look at it is there's a lot of good, right? There's a lot of good that's coming out of this. But we have to be, we have to try, we have an obligation to try to assume and understand the potential bad and to mitigate that as much as possible. Because that's, that's really what progress is about, right? It's not about solving all all the problems it's about overcoming existing problems today and having the means and the capability to address tomorrow's problems too and overcome those problems and you know it's just that like constant struggle for life and development and expansion it's just one of those things where space is it really is that next frontier right you know there's other planets for us to visit and see and i don't think it's something we should shy away from because of the potential negatives but we should be cognizant of those negatives and we should do what we can to address them as much as possible. Hey guys, thank you for listening to this episode. Don't forget, hit us up on Twitter at thatchat underscore podcast and follow us wherever you listen. You can also support us by donation at anchor.fm forward slash thatchatpodcast. podcast.